Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. In right now, with his entourage sitting out in the living room waiting to roll out the red carpet for him not to get his feet wet going to the pickup, here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? Good. It's another wet day out there, but hey... What can you do? Did you float in on I the did. SS Turner? It, it was it was <laughs> raining hard. Oh, it's something. Yeah, it's yeah. something. Yeah, it's puddling up pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we want it today. I'm going to talk about hospitals and healthcare a little bit. You know, last half hour, you're kind of fitting right into the <laughs> yeah, mold here. Yeah. So. Uh, you've been to Yellowstone Park many times. Okay, so even today, Yellowstone Park still kind of you kind of get the feel of the old West a little bit. Still in Yellowstone, yeah, you know, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the yeah. log cabins, one thing, another. Yep. But you know, thousands of tourists uh, go every year to experience the wild. Uh, ine- inevitably, some of them encounter illness or injured during their stay. The park has provided medical services for visitors and area residents since the late nineteenth century. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I didn't either. I as I started reading this, and uh, when I was a kid, we'd go in there, we always saw bears. Uh, yeah. Because that was just a few years ago when I was a kid, you okay. know. And, yeah. And you. <laughs> of course, you live in a time machine. I guess that's all right. So, but... You know, it's still a great place to go visit. Oh, really yeah. Is. So, anyway, an Army hospital was built near Mammoth Hot Springs in 1886, primarily to serve the enlisted personnel of a place called Camp Sheridan. Uh, a new hospital was built in 1894 at Fort Yellowstone, and I didn't know there was a Fort Yellowstone. Now you got me on that one. Yeah, which was then replaced by an improved facility near today's Mammoth Chapel. Where was Fort Yellowstone? You know, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, it's got to be on that north side somewhere, the north end, because that's where Mammoth Hot Springs is. Now, okay, don't so question. I, I look the the Yellowstone River itself, now that runs through the northern part, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. It so does. wouldn't... And, and, yeah, so it's got to be up there pretty... Uh, in the northern park. Okay. I should have checked on that, but uh, there was a new Yellowstone Park Hospital, and also known as the Mammoth Hospital, and it actually served park visitors and even the local people that lived around there clear into the 1960s, and the new facility included an x-ray machine, laboratory, a large operating room on the second floor, but the hospital had no elevator, so patients were carried on a litter up the long stairway to the uh, operating room. And in 1924, doctors from Livingston, Montana, who had been working at the Park Hospital, took over its management from the Army. Why didn't they put the operating room on the first floor? Uh, that, that's a question to be... <laughs> and I guess, you know, if I'm on that litter, I hope there's a short guy in the front and a so, tall guy so in the back. So do I! <laughs> you know, don't, don't throw me off. So anyway, these doctors practiced in the Park and they were kept busy treating a large variety of conditions, especially during the summer. And not only did they say the, the usual problems, but there were some injuries unique to the wilderness. Really? Visitors traveling through the park were, and you, you've heard this, gored by buffalo. Yeah, they're dumb. Stomped dumped. by moose, <laughs> mauled by bears. I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. They were injured in rock, rock climbing falls. 
they were burnt in hot springs. That still happens a it lot. It does. There's still people that do that. Yeah. They were injured in rock climbing falls. They were burnt, again, in the boiling hot springs, uh, hit with rocks. Uh, hey, wait a minute, hit with rocks? Uh, yeah. As you're hiking, sometimes, you know, rocks will break loose. I know yeah. a man that was hit right square in the head. Really? By a falling rock. Just Holy cow. There. He didn't look at the sign that said no. falling rock? No, he didn't. <laughs> but, you know, injuries from bear attacks required a special handling. The mostly black bears that wandered through the park had a lot of contact with people that were not prepared to you know there's no pepper spray no but in addition to potential infection from a bear bite the animal's powerful jaws could you know crush your body and uh boy you're making the trip to the park sound like a lot of fun (laughs) you know it was a bad (laughs) if you got if you lived you know but there was a guy by the name of dr alfred m luke and he was a longtime surgeon in Livingston, Montana, and he treated a lot of these potentially fatal injuries. Now, he discovered that the wound from a bear bite yeah. had to be opened up completely and all the damaged tissue cleaned out. Oh, because of the uh, infection. Infections yeah. of all the things they ate. Right. Yeah. But this procedure was necessary to prevent, like say, serious infection in tissue that could actually act as a cultural media for bacteria. Oh. Especially, there was one they called called gas gangrene. Gas gangrene. Yeah, and that was a, a particularly severe type of gangrene from the infection, I guess. Oh, my so, goodness. But uh, in the early 1960s, this Dr. Luke reported on a large number of cases that he successfully managed. The only one that became infected was a patient who, uh, refusing treatment at the old-fashioned Park Hospital, left to go to the Mayo Clinic. Well, the, de- the delay was uh, fatal. He didn't make it. So he made a mistake. He did. He didn't make it. Now, this is a new one on me, Zeb. Another common condition that the physicians treated was something called acute pulmonary edema from the high altitude. Now, oh, to me, lack of oxygen. Yeah. Uh, the heart and lungs couldn't handle the stress of not enough oxygen uh, above eight or 9,000 feet. And usually this developed in usually older uh, visitors that may have a heart or a lung problem. Really? Now, the only other time I've heard about this uh, high-altitude pulmonary or even cerebral edema is people that climb Mount Everest. Really? Those are the, you'll notice they all I haven't. Oxygen. I haven't climbed Mount Everest. <laughs> Nor will we. <laughs> we won't. So those people that did get this in the park, the treatment was simple. They were told to get in their car and drive to a lower altitude. Well, now, there shows you how advanced medical science <laughs> yeah, is. It's gone, gotten a long way. <laughs> But you know, down off the hill. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, in the early days, only a few healthcare professionals stayed in the park during the off season, and they. I were didn't of, know that. Yeah, and so left to face any problems on their own, uh, there was a nurse practitioner by the name of Donna May Snodgrass, and her husband, and they worked for the Yellowstone National Park in the 1960s, uh-huh. and she was a lot of times the only source of medical care for the area residents because there were still people that lived there in areas. No, I'm going to ask you a dumb question are there still people that live year-round in the park you know i i'm going to just say that if there it's probably mostly just park uh employees yeah Yeah, personnel i don't know that there's any private places anymore in there but this uh donna she actually had to ride sometimes horseback or uh walk to assist somebody in the deep snow they stayed there all winter oh my but in 1980, West Park Hospital in Cody, Wyoming, took over uh, this hospital. So there's still a hospital uh, 
I guess maybe kind of like an outpatient. Well, what did they do? Do they have an ambulance service there? I, you know, I don't, I'm, a, I'm sure they do. I just don't know that for They're sure. They're not going to put them on a litter and carry them that far. <laughs> no, they, I'm sure things have improved a lot. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk about something that is uh, probably not even thought about much in the Old West. Okay. Okay. Uh, mental illness. All right. Ubbly, ubbly, ubbly. Uh, yes. That's all, folks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, a lot of the history of mental illness and its treatment is not pleasant to think about. Ancient Greece was among the few societies that saw mental illness as a disease and not something caused by devils or demons, things like that. But it was several hundred years before this view was accepted by most cultures. They all thought that, you know, somebody that was uh, mentally ill, they were... You know, they were taken over by the devil or something. Uh-huh. But in the meantime, these unfortunate people were considered witches. They were ostracized. They were beaten. They were shackled. They were imprisoned. They were tortured and even put to death. Oh, my. And even in the more enlightened eras of the 18th and 19th centuries, uh, some hospitals did admit them. But a lot of the mentally ill people were still locked in jails. They were isolated at home or in what they call almshouses. Or they were left to wander without any supervision. The problem was largely a question of public perception and a lack of understanding on the part of the medical profession. Even the doctors really didn't know what this was or how to treat it. Mm. Until modern times, doctors wanted uh, little to do with the problem of the mentally ill, and so usually it was left to somebody else. They were scared of them. They were. Now, there was a gal by the name of Dorothea Dix. Now, she was born in 1802 Mm -hmm. to 1887. Right. She was one uh, who met the challenge head-on. This stout-hearted lady had witnessed mentally ill men and women incarcerated with criminals, sometimes left naked without heat, light, or bathrooms, sometimes beaten. Uh, you know I, know, I know this is hard to think about, Zeb, but this is something that happened. They to really the were West. exacerbating they, the problem. They were. But anyway, she dedicated herself to stopping this treatment. In 40 years of effort, she helped establish 32 state hospitals and actually even convinced the Pope, who was Pope Pius IX, to speak out about the mentally ill. Wow. So here we are. And that was in the the what? Late 1800s. So by 1880, mental institutions, both government and private, were improved a lot, and hospitalization of the mentally ill started getting support. Yeah, because you can imagine, Zeb, if if you have somebody in your family, a child or a brother, sister that's mentally ill, what do you do with them? Yeah, and really. So they want them taken care of, yep. uh, obviously. You know, now at first, therapies at the state mental institutions emphasized uh, kindness and restraint. They tried to take care of them, but those principles kind of broke down due to their low cost. The state-supported institutions were they pretty soon they were overwhelmed with patients uh, whose families, uh, you know, they got to the point where the family could not take care of the person. When, I'm going to interrupt you here and ask you a question because you know everything. Uh, when did the studies of mental illness really become uh, prominent at major universities? I'm going to say it didn't start until the early 1900s. Wow, that's not that far ago, no, long no. ago. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. 
The world needs you. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. So it's something that is well-studied now. Uh, We understand a lot more about it. But, uh, you know, some of these places, these facilities were uh, built for a few hundred, uh, but... Uh, they ended up having several thousand in some of these facilities. Mm-mm. And so, obviously, if you're taking care of people that should be like two or three hundred, and now you got a thousand, the staff is not going to be able to take care of people like that. Uh, anyway, Nevada's territorial legislature showed some pretty good progress in 1867. Now, that's a long time ago. It allocated $10,000 for care of the insane. But by 1871, that amount was found not to be enough. Um, it was less expensive to send Nevada's mentally ill to the California State Hospital in Stockton, California. Hmm. And that was a cost of only $9 per uh, patient per week. Of course, that was, like I say, 1871. But the solution was okay until Nevada built its own mental hospital near Reno in 1881. So, you know, even towards the late 1800s, I'm going to say they were starting to understand a little more about the severity and types of, of uh, mental illness. How did they, at that time, accept or take in someone that they deemed was mentally ill? I don't know what the criteria would be. I'm going to assume that maybe uh, a country doctor or uh, somebody said, hey, I've got this person, this is what's going on. Does he fit the program to yeah. go into a mental hospital? I see. I see. Uh, or the family, I'm sure, probably took this person to, to a doctor of some kind. Uh, so there had to be a process for deciding who they thought could come into these mm-hmm. hospitals. But in his third year uh, at the Nevada Hospital for the Indigent Insane, had 140 patients, and the conditions diagnosed were recorded as, here's the things that they took in, uh, why they had uh, mental illness. Heredity, typhoid, religion, scarlet fever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Religion? Yeah. You think about back in the old days, some of the uh, uh, traveling uh, uh, preachers, some of these, you know, some people became, I guess, overwhelmed somehow. And hmm. I, I'm not quite sure how how to explain that. Okay. But that's what they'd say here. That, uh, And then scarlet fever, epilepsy, fright. Jealousy, alcoholism, uh, a weak mind, disappointment, loss of memory, and solitary life. Those are things that they looked at and decided, okay, you qualify because you fit in this particular category. Now, did they have anything to say about it? The... That's a good question. Um, and I don't know. I, I mean, get... if somebody looked at you or I under that list of criteria, we may be in a heap of trouble. <laughs> it could happen. You know, uh, so, you know, there was a considerable degree of difference between the the terminology of the past and that of the present. Yeah. I mean, terminology back then, we really don't use that now. Yeah. Uh, but some, we do. Uh, we do know that uh, one of the 
leading causes, unfortunately, was advanced syphilis. And it was among the leading cause of insanity in those days. Wow. And many patients were severely depressed. Uh, many people with conditions no longer considered psychiatric illness, uh, like epilepsy and Alzheimer's, were placed in mental hospitals back then. So now we know that epilepsy and Alzheimer's is something that, can sort of be treated, well, al- epilepsy for sure. Alzheimer's can be treated, uh, but not necessarily cured. Mm. We, we know that by now. Yeah. But back then, they were placed in a mental hospital. Now, the developmentally disabled were commonly committed to insane asylums uh, under vague diagnosis, like, uh, here's a couple of them, they would say imbecility or idiocy. 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 Yes. Constitutional inferiority. Now, those are terms that... Constitutional inferiority. Inferiority. So... You know, you're saying phrases there that, uh, boy, I'd sure like to see the meaning. Yeah. And, again, back then, a diagnosis was... There again, there again I, I go to the people that were accused of this. I mean, what right or who stood up for them or who spoke for them if they couldn't speak for themselves? Well, and unfortunately, I think... There are some families that figured, well, this person is yeah. beyond help, okay. and uh, we can't deal with him or her, and we're going to put him in this uh, hospital and maybe never see him again. Oh, my goodness. We don't know. Yeah. But uh, until near the turn of the century, 20th century, mental hospitals uh, followed the peculiar custom, and this is kind of sad, Zeb, they followed a peculiar custom of exhibiting patients to the public. Oh, like a yeah. carnival? This form of entertainment began in 1770 at St. Mary of Bethlehem Hospital in London, where visitors paid a fee to laugh at, quote, I'm going to say this, quote, laugh at the lunatics. Oh. Gradually, as understanding grew, this practice was stopped. In 1895, the Nevada Hospital for the Indigent Insane changed its name to the Nevada Hospital for Mental Diseases, and the superintendent prohibited placing the inmates on exhibition for the amusement and to gratify the morbid curiosity. It kind of makes you wonder who visitors. the real crazy people were. Right, right. I did hear a call. Come yeah, in. do we have a call? Uh, caller, good morning. You're on the air. Quickly, please. We only got three minutes left. I guess we lost him. I guess not. Well, so let's go back. The mental hospital at Warm Springs in Deer Lodge, Montana Territory, involved into a well-known spa, the alleged healing powers of natural hot springs, uh, mineral hot springs, made them popular treatment for alcoholism and other addictions. And by the late 1800s, spas were recommended as a therapy. And even today, you know, a spa can be very beneficial uh, for many kinds uh, of mental illness even. For instance, the hot springs baths were considered considered effective in calming some psychotic patients. In 1877, two Deer Lodge doctors purchased the Warm Springs Hotel to use as an asylum. So these doctors took on a very tough condition. But Montana was actually kind of ahead of itself in mental illness. Uh, by all reports, the new Warm Springs institution met the, governor, the governor's mandate that quote, treatment be of the same character that patients now receive in the best regulated asylums in the state. They were clothed, they were fed, they were treated well, they seemed to be happy and contented in this particular facility. You know what stands out for me in everything you've said this morning since we started is that we really have not progressed 
over a period of time to be that advanced. You know what I mean? The 1800s and the early 19th century, that wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. And again, it has improved tremendously. But uh, in this particular spa, uh, it was said that, quote, the diet, medical and surgical treatment and attention and all of the matters pertaining to the welfare of the patients are beyond criticism. They were a home-like, kind atmosphere. Then in 1912, the state of Montana bought the Warm Springs facility. They renamed it the Montana State Hospital for the Insane, and now it's called the Montana State Hospital, uh, and they take care of a lot of residents. Um, it's just uh, it's, it's turned into a much better uh, treatment. Now, I'm going to just throw something out here, Zeb. Over the years, as a chiropractor, I treated a lot of patients for musculoskeletal problems, all right? Uh, other conditions, I would refer to a, their family doctor, a surgeon, uh, uh, whatever they needed. And I'm just going to say here, this was not in my field, but I had a few patients come in that were suffering from depression. My advice to those patients was, if you had cancer, diabetes, heart disease, you would seek medical attention. You have depression, you have clinical depression, according to what I'm seeing. You need to get the help and the treatment that you need, uh, whether it's counseling, whether it's uh, psychi- uh, medication, whatever you need. And let me just finish before this listener says something. Uh, I, I met a man by the name of Dr. Bushnell. This man is a, an expert in the field of ECT, which is actually electroshock therapy. Right. And he says that this treatment has been around 85% effective for people with severe depression. Wow. So some of my listeners out there, if you are struggling with this, check with your psychiatrist. Ask about ECT. Yeah, and don't just try to go it alone. No. 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 Uh, Quickly, caller, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and that's it. I'm almost out of time. Go quickly. Okay. I just wanted to share with you on, on Fort Yellowstone backtracking on you. It was established in 1891 at Mammoth Hot Springs. Ah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad you knew that. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. You know, uh, what I was trying to get to a few... Some of the maladies sound like some of what our politicians have. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Uh, But it it is surprising, you know, that you're talking about uh, through the uh, European times all the way to our settlers coming to America, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. And in recent times, this still is a study and a field that, we don't know. You know, there's still, we know a lot, but there's a lot we don't know. And do every learn. single person is unique and different. Yeah. So what helps one patient may not help the next Absolutely. or the next. But depression is something that all of us, all of us can have at one time or another. Right. And it's not something to just slough off. No. And again, I would encourage anybody out there that's struggling. The hard part, too, is the spouse not knowing what do I do? This person has a nice Amen. home. They, they What have they got to be depressed yeah. about? And yeah. it's not something you choose to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Dr. History, you hit it out of the park. Great Thank information. You, Thank you very much. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. 
private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.